joining us today, Linus. Uh, let's start with uh, who you are and what you're related to immigration here at the U of N. Sure. So uh, my name is Linus Chan. I teach here at the law school and I run a clinic called the Detainee Rights Clinic as part of the Bigger Center for New Americans. And I have been immigration practicing lawyer for over 20 years. Um, my clinic represents people who are in immigration detention facing removal from the United States. And I've been doing that work for about 15 years or so. Wow, that's that's a lot of work. <laughs> I can see why you're really busy. Um, so what other work does the Immigrant Law Center do here at the U? Uh, so the Banger Center is... Um, three the four different clinics we have one which primarily focuses on asylum and people who are applying for asylum we have another clinic that does what's called federal immigration litigation which is involves uh you know cases that are in federal court whether that is in federal circuit courts or federal district courts and then we have another clinic called the rural access clinic that is uh working with um immigrant communities in the outstate or rural area of Minnesota. Um, and sometimes it's immigration, but sometimes uh, working with those communities can involve uh, other types of connecting people with other types of legal services. Yeah, the rural areas definitely feel neglected, especially with uh, what we saw last year with uh, the children, uh, underage workers mm -hmm. that didn't receive enough attention, but I'm glad people like you folks exist, uh, possibly Help them out. Um, now let's talk about the Nostar Act. Yeah, let's do it. Um, in general, what's the what is the Nostar Act? Like, if you had to give three points of what it was, what what would you say? Getting Minnesota out of deportation, out of immigration enforcement. That's the what the Nostar Act does. What like issue does it? I mean, getting deportations what do they do what is the issue with them for folks who don't know and like what issue does it solve with the sure. that's a really good question so the issue that it solves is there has been a really larger understanding in the last 25 years or so that when state and local agencies are actually trying to enforce immigration law that it hurts the ability of the state and local agencies to do what they do best, which is to look out the interest for the state. Um, so I'll give an example, right? One example that we have seen uh, and that law enforcement themselves have said, which is, let me go back. So for example, during the Bush administration, there was a program called um, Secure Communities. And that program was trying to get to the federal government was trying to get states and local governments to be more involved in immigration enforcement. Uh, they wanted them to arrest more people. They wanted them to be part of the immigration process. And in some cases, they would even encourage them to become deputized and enforce immigration. Well, that was what's part of the 287G agreement. And what we've seen since is that secure communities uh, was a failure in many ways because even though a number of local and state um, uh, entities joined when it first was created, they started leaving very quickly. 
And why they started leaving was because they recognized that being directly involved in immigration enforcement meant that they weren't able to do their job of protecting the communities from crime, and it means that they remain more difficult to do their jobs of protecting the public health of the state and doing making it more difficult to really make it better for everyone in the state. And a couple examples of this, right, is uh, what we know is, for instance, we know that quite a few people in the immigrant community, if they are in a context of facing domestic violence or being a survivor of domestic violence, if they at the same time are afraid that they're going to end up in deportation, they're not going to call the police. They don't call the police. What happens is the their, their safety gets compromised, not only their safety, but maybe their children's safety or other family members' safety, and the police are not able to do their job, which is to protect us against uh, that type of crime. People may not even want to report other crimes, whether it be anything involving, you know, uh, robberies, muggings, or, or theft, people would be reluctant to interact at all with state officials because they would be fearful that that would involve uh, contact and con that might lead to them being separated from their family and facing deportation. Similarly, you know, people were afraid um, right Right after the Trump administration, there was a lot of fear in the American community. You saw uh, people who were afraid to take their children to school. You saw people who were afraid to drop off children at daycare. You saw people who were afraid to, to make their medical appointments. And as we know, right, uh, public health depends on everyone getting the medical treatment and health and prevention uh, as much as possible. Definitely, definitely. Um, it seems to be helping a community that's not seen often. And right now, we're, we seem to be pushing them further away by not having them, you know, be able to advocate for themselves when they need help, like calling the police. Yeah. Um. So right now... So I, I just want to just end with the idea here is the reason why North Star was used is that it is a lot to do with trust. It is trying to make sure that the state and local government has the trust of the communities that they serve. It's why when California passed a version of this bill, they called it the Trust Act. Illinois passed the version of the bill, they called it the Trust Act. A lot of other states who have passed similar types of bills, they all recognize that it is very difficult to do the job of being a state and providing services to the whole community when there are portions of the community that don't trust them and are fearful that they would end up being separated from their homes and their family. Definitely. Um, that's something we sense in the community often. You know, when people have an issue and it goes further and further along and say, why didn't you ask for help? And this stuff, they've seen something that can be remove a barrier from that. So thank you for explaining that. Um, Republicans and media have referred to the North Star Act as a sanctuary state bill. Um, why, why would you say that might not be accurate? So that's a very good question. So I just want to take a couple notes here. One is like, 
the term sanctuary, sanctuary is a very odd thing to, to, to think about that as a bad thing, right? Sanctuary has a very long history. It comes from, uh, you know, old traditions of the church and how, what, if people needed a uh, sanctuary, they could get help from a church and that church would help them uh, prevent them from any harm coming. So the term has its roots um, in the current context from when there was what's called the sanctuary movement in the United States. And the sanctuary movement in the United States, when it relates to immigration, was a response to what people saw were happening to refugees that were here from Central America, Nicaragua, uh, El Salvador, Guatemala, and what a lot of people, and these were usually religious organizations that first started in Texas, is that they were providing direct sanctuary to people and families. They would invite those families to live uh, that were uh, that had fled those countries to live in the church and to, uh, specifically to protect them from getting deported. So there was this upswelling of understanding that the deportation of those asylum seekers was unjust and they would directly involve themselves and prevent deportations from happening. And, you know, all I will say is as a social movement that actually helped change the law, they, that the sanctuary movement really did have an impact on immigration law. Uh, the, the government started to change and recognize itself that the way that Central Americans were being treated was was unjust. There was a famous lawsuit called ABC litigation. The reason why it is not accurate when it applies to North Star or these trust acts is because the state of Minnesota, the city of Minneapolis, the city of St. Paul, all of these local governments cannot prevent someone from being deported. You know, the absolute understanding is since about the 1880s or so, 1870s or 80s, uh, the law has been very clear. The Constitution has been very clear. The Supreme Court has said over and over again that immigration is a federal issue and that states are not allowed to create their own immigration laws and they're not allowed to interfere with the federal immigration system. So what does that mean? Well, that means that we can't, even if I wanted to, we cannot have a state law or a state, a city ordinance or anything that would give somebody who doesn't have immigration status status. There's no way that any law that could be written would prevent the federal government from coming and detaining someone and potentially deporting them. That is just not what these bills can do. That's, we've been told under the Constitution they can't. And as an example, you see what's happening in Texas. Texas is trying to institute their own immigration system. And uh, they have spent, in fact, hundreds and hundreds of millions of dollars to try to do that. Uh, I think at one point, Operation Lone Star was estimated to cost Texas something like $10 billion over its life. 
But what do we know? We know that they're getting sued, and it's very likely that it, that the courts are not going to allow Texas to do that. Why? Because Texas is a state, and immigration is a federal issue. But I want. But, so what are we talking about? If states can't prevent immigration uh, deportations, then what's the point of the Trust Act? What are the points of the North Star Act? What is it that these statutes will do? And the answer is pretty simple, which is because these states don't have a role in writing or creating immigration policy, because state officers and officials are not trained and are not uh, their job, their role is not to enforce immigration law, Minnesota can make the choice that they are simply going to not be involved. And what that means is they don't have to do any of the things uh, that can be part of the deportation process. They're not stopping the deportation process, but it doesn't mean that they have to participate. And I think you know, one of the frustrating things about the media uh, and how the conversation is, it there are some that seems to think that this bill would make Minnesota go into a debate, while which meant that Minnesota has been neutral about immigration uh, detention and deportation. And I just want to be clear, Minnesota has not been neutral. Um, Minnesota resources are directly used to deport and detain people uh, in order to effectuate their removal. Minnesota officers are sharing data, are giving information that will allow uh, federal officials to look at all of our data, citizen, non-citizen or not, in order to try to put people into this process. Minnesota ha is using county jail spaces to go ahead and detain people who are facing immigration and detention. We are already using our resources in order to further the detention and deportation of Minnesota residents. Minnesota is already doing things that are affecting Minnesota residents as part of the deportation and detention. All this bill is saying is that we don't have to, so why should we? Why should we spend our energy, our resources? Why should we collect information that we want to use for state purposes and then allow that information to be used for the federal government? We shouldn't. And we definitely shouldn't because it undermines the state's ability to do their job because it undermines trust in the state government. That's great. That kind of answers my next question. A lot of Democrats and early on were hesitant about this bill. Um, some that even supported the driver's license. And you kind of mentioned it like it does debilitate trust. But what else would you mention to folks who are wavering at the Senate and in the House? Yeah, what I will say is I think... Uh, first of all, understand what the bill does and I think try to get past the rhetoric. I think it's very easy to um, hear all of the talk about sanctuary this and sanctuary that and understand that uh, this bill is really uh, not trying to prevent immigration deportations 
they were going to happen the day before this bill passes. There are going to be people who are going to be deported from Minnesota. The day after it happens, there will be people that will be deported from Minnesota. That's one thing. Second, the question is, why would we want any of our state and local enforcement to be involved in those immigration decisions anyway? I will tell you, immigration law is really complicated, and it's very difficult sometimes to even tell the difference between someone who's undocumented and who's a U.S. citizen. One thing I like to tell people, you know, when we're first talking about immigration law, is that if someone were to come up to anybody now, right now, and say, prove to me you're a U.S. citizen, it's not that easy for a lot of us. What are we going to do? Do we have our birth certificate somewhere? Do we have anything that we have right away? A lot of times we don't have that stuff on on our persons. I certainly don't. I don't carry my U.S. passport, and I don't carry my, my birth certificate. Um, so why in the world would we want to force state officials to try to make some of those difficult decisions? It's just not a good use of their time. And then... Here's the thing that I, I want to caution legislators and, and policymakers on, which is the current crisis with the border is not impacted by this bill. And I think people, uh, and I think people such as Governor Abbott and others who have a very specific agenda when it comes to immigration would like everyone to think that the border and bills that are used for state purposes and state resources are somehow automatically late. And so let me go discuss that for a quick second. First of all, um, are there people coming from the border now to Minnesota? Yes. Uh, are they being sent by Governor Abbott? No. Um, most of the time, Governor Abbott may have put several of them on a bus to Chicago or New York, and we are, in fact, seeing people who had formerly been bused into those cities making their way into Minnesota. Why are they coming to Minnesota? For the same reason that the people have decided to try to come to the United States, because they think there might be uh, a way that a place for them to be safe, a, a place for them to seek refuge, a place for them to be able to provide safety for themselves and their family. Are they coming because they think that they that our laws are somehow more lax? No. First of all, we don't have such laws. If we're talking about that, there is no law in the books that actually makes it um, easier for people uh, to avoid deportation in Minnesota. Second of all, many of the people, I mean, 99.9% .9 of the people that are coming from the border, and especially anyone that has been put on a bus, they've already been processed by ICE. They are already in the deportation process. ICE doesn't need to know where they are because they are tracking them. They have gotten their biometrics done. They have gotten, they've shared address information. They are already going to immigration court and they are already facing deportation. They can avoid deportation if they can convince an immigration judge that they are here because they fear and they are, they should be granted asylum, but they are all already facing deportation. So this bill if it passes, is not going to really change how and why those people are going to come. I think that 
the reality is the border is a crisis and that crisis is not going to be, it's going to have to be dealt with on a federal level and it's not going to just go away. And I don't think whether or not this bill gets passed, that's not going to change things. If we don't pass the bill, there will be people coming from the border. If we pass the bill, there will be people coming from the border. And uh, it is it is unfair and misleading to think that opposing this bill will somehow make it easier for anybody when it comes to the border. It's not. We should pass this bill because it's good for Minnesota. It creates a, a community that's inclusive. It creates a sense that we are, you know, when we decided to pass driver's licenses, it increased safety on our roads. When we passed expansion of Medicare, it created, it increased health for all Minnesotans. And passing this bill will create more trust in state government for everybody, not just for uh, immigrants and non citizens. That was a debate, like, if it's not stopping deportations, why should other activists and immigrant communities care about this? You mentioned that, but if you'd like to elaborate further on that. Yeah, I mean, I think for first of all, even though it won't directly prevent any deportations, it still asks the question of why we would want to use state resources to do it. I think it's important to immigrant communities because it's really saying to state and local officials, are you going to look at us as as Minnesotans? Whether or not people are U.S. citizens, can't they still be considered Minnesotans? Can we still be considered as members of our local community? The state and local, we have, they have to deal with people on the ground. They're dealing with communities. They're dealing with people in churches. They're dealing with our neighbors. They're dealing with our nurses. They're dealing with our teachers. Can we be treated as that? Do we have to constantly be treated as if this immigration status is the only thing that identifies us or what matters? Because we don't have to be. The, the state law and state uh, and local localities, they don't have to get involved in that question. They can treat everybody just as they are, which is they are people who are part of our community in Minnesota. That's it. And the reason why immigrant communities and the reason why everyone should want to support this bill is it, it recognizes that we should treat our neighbors as neighbors. We should treat our teachers as teachers. We should not have to ask whether or not they have papers. They are here and they are part of our community. And if the federal government wants to go ahead and decide that they don't belong here, then let them do it. We don't have to, we don't have to provide the resources. Thank you. Um, and just to catch an atmosphere of the political atmosphere here, um, why is it important to pass it this year? You know, it's election year. Um, well, let's be honest, right? I mean, I think as much as I, we would want to, as much as I believe in that vision, that we should look at each other as just neighbors, as just teachers, as just friends, as just coworkers, um, there are... Trump and other people would divide us. They do not believe in that vision. 
They have shared already a vision in which every interaction between everybody is going to be decided or determined by whether or not they are a citizen or undocumented or uh, whether what kind of papers they have. It's hard to conceive exactly the kind of uh, country and state that uh, Trump and uh, some of the people that are working with him really want, other than the idea of that we should only look uh, towards whether or not people have status as a way to decide whether they should be treated as people. And we can't predict, I hope, I personally hope that, you know, we don't have to go through another Trump presidency. But if we do, then this bill is the best that we can do to say whatever happens, Minnesota officials can treat people as people. And they do not have to make a call about whether or not they are, in fact, have papers or don't have papers. Excellent. Um, before you mentioned several other states that have passed this, uh, what have we seen from after they pass? What are some of the results? I, I mean, I think what we haven't seen, right? We haven't seen anything like an increase in crime. We haven't seen anything that is that is bad or terrible. Um, in some situations, we have seen uh, that people simply have a new relationship with their state government, that they're not afraid of doing that. What we've seen, what I think is really interesting, and one of the things that you've seen, is that when Colorado started to talk about protecting uh, data from Immigration and Customs Enforcement, what we saw is the is Colorado started to pass more reforms over data completely. The idea that it's not just about immigration, but that we really need to seriously look at how data is both used, monetized, and shared, right? So there's a lot of ways in which um, things can go. In, in some ways, all what we would see is that Minnesota uh, and other states are using their state resources towards their state resources and what their needs are. Um, what we haven't seen is we have not seen higher crime. We haven't seen worse economies. Um, and, you know, I don't think, I don't know, but I don't think uh, we've seen uh, those cities or those states having to deal suddenly with more people. Right? You know, I want to just give one example, which is California. You know, California uh, is a state that has um, been like the center point of being a welcoming state for immigrants uh, for the last few years. And you will notice that like Governor Abbott has not actually bussed a whole lot of people to California. Why? Because California, likely, they are not afraid of having people bust to their uh, cities. Now that you've given such a wealth of information about this act, how would you uh, inquire people to get involved with uh, getting the NARSTAR Act passed here? I think I encourage everyone to write to their legislators and just really, you know, encourage them, encourage the legislators to actually understand what the act does first. And second, don't let, you know, all the political divisiveness 
all the rhetoric and rancor around the immigration debate about sanctuary or undocumented people to be the basis for making a decision like this. Uh, those those things are are all examples of just fear mongering and ways to try to divide our communities. And they're just not um, what's happening. If you look at the bill, you recognize that the bill has will not prevent immigration from uh, deporting people, and it will not create a way for undocumented people to get status. It will not give them jobs. It will not do anything other than tell state officials to treat people like people and to not try to look past that to find, um, to look at their documentation. Anything else you'd like to cover that we didn't cover here? The fear that a lot of the reasons to vote against this bill, in my opinion that I've heard, are based on fear and rhetoric rather than on what the bill would actually do. And I'm not naive. I understand that some things can be, that politics doesn't always involve policy, right? That the best policy is not always the best politics. Um, I understand that. But I really hope that uh, the public and legislators and our leaders really can also see that their decisions should not, if at all possible, be governed by fear and efforts to divide. Uh, you know, I was very inspired when uh, the Minnesota legislature decided to pass laws that would protect uh, trans rights, trans health, and that they would pass laws to protect reproductive freedoms. And I will say that those are controversial topics, but the legislator decided that they were going to do so because it was the right thing to do for Minnesotans and Minnesota. And I think in that spirit, North Star fits that bill. 